the influences of the media. Teenage savages go wild in a juvenile jungle of lust and lawlessness. A blood tide of filth threatening to pervert an entire generation of I'm Dr. Ben Litherland. And I'm Dr. Richard McCulloch. We research media audiences. And this is Ill Effects, the good podcast about bad media influences. Hey, Ben, do you know if... Child's Play 3 turned 10-year-old boys into killers. The weird film with the doll. The third of the weird films with the, the murderous doll. That's the one. Did it turn 10-year-old boys into killers? That's the question for today. That sounds like a bit of a stretch. Um, who is asking this question? Where, where's that coming from? This was prompted by a really, really huge news story way back in 1993. Now, you and me about the same age, Ben, um, give or take a year or so, um, but I would have been about eight years old when this happened. February 1993, the murder of James Bulger. Do you remember this being on the news? I don't. Uh, I was a really sensitive child, okay. so I wasn't allowed to watch news around or the news. Wow. Um, <laughs> so already, like, that's, you know, a media influence in and of itself, I suppose. But um, so I don't remember it, but my mum would have been horrified and okay. would have probably kept as much of it yeah. from me as I, you know, as she could. It's um, it's genuinely a really upsetting, really tragic story. Um, I'm actually not going to go into too much detail about the specifics of the murder. I have to give a little bit of detail to give background, particularly to listeners out there who may not have heard of this, maybe from other countries. There are 50 terrible true crime podcasts, I'm sure, that go exactly. into it. Like, this is not the podcast for you yes. if you want gory details. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I grew up in Merseyside and this was a... Uh, a murder which took place uh, in Bootle, which is on the outskirts of Liverpool. And uh, the basic story of what happened was on the 12th of February, 1993, uh, Denise Bulger, who was uh, a mother, was out shopping in a shopping centre with her two-year-old son, James. Uh, She goes into, I think it was a butcher's shop, to pay for something. She lets go of his hand for a matter of a minute or two, no more than that, just to pay for something. And in that time, he's abducted. There's a big hunt. Obviously, it's a big news story. Two-year-old goes missing. Very quickly, some grainy CCTV footage emerges, showing him, very chillingly, being led away by two very young-looking people, presumed to be teenagers at the time. Obviously, there's a big search. There's a lot of panic around it for obvious reasons. Two days later, James's body is found. It's found he's found dead on a railway line two and a half miles away from where he was where he was taken. Now, um, after some enhanced footage was released of the of this from the CCTV images, the two boys or one of the boys particularly was recognized by someone who had seen these people out with James Bulger. Um, They were arrested a few days later and charged with his murder. Um, Like I said, I'm not going to go into the gory details of it, but. Just to give you the basics, they led him away by the hand. They walked uh, across town, as I said, for two and a half miles. 
stopping in a, a few shops and things. They were stopped by some concerned onlookers because James was very upset, crying a lot of the time. They sort of managed to fob off those concerned people by saying, oh, he's our brother, he's just a bit upset or whatever. Um, eventually they took him near a railway line and they beat him to death. Um, again, not going to go into the details, but it's um, really, really horrific, like all the stuff they did to him, uh, eventually left him for dead on a railway line. And that's where he was found. Now, understandably, this is a really, it's a horrible story. It's a hugely tragic case, partly because of the age of the victim, James Bulger, but also because the two boys who committed the murder were only 10 years old. So it's really, really shocking for something so violent to happen to someone so young by some people who are also so young. So I think one of the things we'll be doing a lot on this podcast is kind of pointing at a lot of media panics and scaremongering and things and going, what the hell are they going on about? They've completely blown this out of proportion. Actually, with this case, I, I kind of get it, right? At least the initial starting point, it's kind of warranted that there would be a massive outcry and, frankly, a big search for answers, right? That desire to find an answer yeah. to something that probably doesn't have an answer is, like you say, really, really, really understandable. It's such a horrific, such a horrific story. Yeah. So um, in the days following um, the murder and the arrest and while the trial is going on and all this kind of thing, there are, as you would probably expect, a an absolute barrage of articles in the media where everybody is kind of falling over themselves to try and go, how has this happened? What is going on here? So, for example, um, in one opinion piece uh, by Jill Parkin in the Daily Express, uh, I think this is quite a good summary, uh, she writes, how did it happen? I don't mean literally the murder. We'll find that out soon enough. Okay, she's writing at a point before the trial and before all the facts are known. She said, no, the question is, how did we get a society where tiny children can be assaulted and murdered, where older children commit violent crimes, where we're all threatened by the nihilism of disaffected youth in shopping malls and behind the wheels of stolen cars? Again, I think there's an element of like understandable concern underpinning that. But notice also the way she's kind of branching out beyond this specific murder, right? This isn't just about James Bulger. There's something that a lot of the people commenting on this seem to think is, uh, it's kind of like the Bulger murder is emblematic of something bigger, bigger problems. A broken society. A broken society, exactly. And then, as the trial comes to its conclusion, right, the boys are found guilty. They get sent to jail for a very long time, okay? Justice Morland, the judge in the trial, makes this passing remark... It's not for me to pass judgment on their upbringing, the boys' upbringing, but, quote, I suspect that exposure to violent video films may be in part an explanation. That's coming from the judge of the trial, who sat through all this evidence. What are your thoughts? So I suppose my initial response to that, as somebody who has done media research, is that that's a wild statement for a judge to be making. I want to kick back against it immediately. But as you've done in your discussion so far, I, I, I do get it. I'm more sympathetic than I thought it would be. Whenever I hear details about this case, I have the same response, which is, why? There's got to be a reason. Um, and if that's your starting point for a question, then there's got to be an answer. And if the answer is, if that's the only thing that you can find that is unusual, I, 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 I suppose I'm more sympathetic than perhaps I thought I would have been. 
Um, but it does set alarm bells off simultaneously yeah. that that's quite a specific thing. Like why that specific um, cultural form? Like why why film? Like why why film and not you know you know soccer hall again? There feels like there could be a dozen things that you could point towards. It, it feels very specific. Mm. Um, so I'm actually quite intrigued to find out why the specificity of mm. violent film and not other things, and um, why that's given so much prominence mm. in the closing statement from a judge. Um, that you know he's he's if we if we take him to be a good actor which there's no reason not to he's take he's heard all the evidence and he's noticed something yeah um that is worthy of exploration i think i think the first thing to probably say about this is that um obviously the the press has been covering this trial throughout um it's actually worth saying that they weren't naming the boys for most of the trial they sure. were just known as child a and child b until the end of the trial when the judge said no we can release these names because he was very scathing about what they'd done obviously it was a horrible crime and everything um said they shouldn't be given anonymity and but one one thing that i was really surprised by was not only was violent video films or any kind of videos part of the trial but it also wasn't part of the press coverage until this comment is made huh so this comment comes out right at the end of the trial, and at least in the research that I've done, and I've I've gone right really deep on this into a lot of press coverage throughout from the moment of the murder to the trial and, and beyond, and there was barely any mention in any media, local or national, of videos being a factor until this point, right right as the verdict is made. Huh. So it does seem as though this has been the catalyst for the panic that would then follow. It's this one statement rather than evidence that emerged during the trial. So I would have been convinced that this was a huge part of the defence team's, um, you know, case for what had happened mm. and that the child, the children weren't to blame for what had Absolutely. happened. That's intriguing. Yeah. I want to find out more. And, and actually, interestingly, you mentioned that the defence team, even when presented with this as a potential get out, of, well, it wouldn't have been a get out of jail free card because they'd already been found guilty. Maybe that's the reason. But they didn't lean into it. Huh. The defence team was not interested in this argument, which I don't know. We'll, we'll see what we, when we get on to the, the later research what we make of that. But what happened in the days that followed was a an absolute cavalcade of discussion about violent videos and i knew about i like i said i grew up in in the 90s i remember the bulger murder being all over the news i remember child's play 3 being mentioned and videos kind of being a thing but i was expecting when we decided to do this episode that this would just be I knew it was a panic, but I thought it would be pretty small scale. And I was absolutely blown away by the scale of it. I, I, you, you won't believe. In fact, let's look at a few of the pieces now. I think a big part of whenever we do any of these discussions, particularly in Britain, is that the British press is always one of the biggest protagonists in the story. And um, whether that's, you know, the Daily Mail is is oversized in its influence, but across the British press, um, the way that they report murder cases full stop is Absolutely. not particularly great. Yeah. So we get a few opinion pieces which are kind of mentioning violent videos um, as one possible explanation. Okay. So Ben, for the benefit of the listeners, describe what you're seeing here. 
Uh, just stick to the head fi- headlines. You don't have to zoom in on the text of the article. I'm looking at the Daily Telegraph, uh, which is a British conservative broadsheet. The headline reads, Boys guilty of bulger murder. Violent videos may have played part in act of unparalleled evil and barbarity, says Judge. Inquiry urged on violent films. Now, this front page was the relatively, I would say, the measured version of the coverage that followed. <laughs> this, this is the measured one. The, this is the measured one, right. Um, and, and note, I think, particularly important here is the addition of words like unparalleled evil and barbarity, <laughs> says judge. But the judge didn't say that. He, oh, OK. okay. Yeah, he just said violent video films might be a factor. He didn't say anything about unparalleled evil, barbarity. That's been added by the Telegraph. Sure. Right. Um, and the, the inquiry urged on violent films is also important, but we'll come back to that in a moment. Now, if you go on to the next example, you will see a slightly more, let's say, sensationalized <laughs> version um, to give you a phrase. Yeah. If, if you want to describe this, Ben. So this is from The Star, which is a tabloid. Uh, the headline reads, clear the shelves of this filth. Uh, above a picture of The Mutilator, which I assume is a very lovely rom-com film, (laughs) next to the phrase, sick video slammed after Jamie's killing. Exactly. So these are just two examples, one slightly more um, conservative and kind of restrained, but both of them quite sensational, both of them going big on like the sick filth, the evil, things like that. But again, uh, I think the interesting thing about the star example is that it's broadening out to specific films. It's Mm. starting to name specific films. We still haven't got to Child's Play 3, but we are starting to get particular titles being mentioned. The Mutilator. Exactly, which I'm sure we can both add to our watch lists after this. Um, But the Telegraph and the Star were just two examples among many. And if you look at the next example, Ben, I have put together for you a selection of newspaper headlines All of these that you can now see are from the day or two after the judge said what he said. Oh, my God. What does your internet search history look like? (laughs) There are dozens of examples. Okay, I'm going to pick a few because I can't read all of these. Corruption of the video generation. Urgent demand for government crackdown on horror videos. No child should watch these violent videos. TV violence can influence children. I could go on. I'm not going to because there's so many. Yeah, no, by all means stop there. I just wanted to get a flavour of it. I wasn't expecting you to read all of them out. Like that's a sample of what what I found. Um, and it, and it just carried on like this. It gets progressively weirder as well. So what starts to happen after this um, after this focus on violent videos is that one film in particular seems to rise to the fore as the kind of bet noir of of of, of this panic, the, the 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 main target, the main scapegoat. So a headline like this this next one that you're looking oh at now. Oh my god! Okay, right. So yeah. so. I mean, again, do you want to describe it or shall I describe it this time? <laughs> uh, I, I, I can describe it. Um, so we have the Chucky doll. Um, so Chucky from uh, Child's Play, the Child's Play series of films. Uh, I so that, it's the producer. It's the producer. So we've got a, a man, a bearded man, uh, a youngish bearded man holding a, a Chucky doll. Um, so the producer of these films holding the Chucky doll. Um the Chucky doll is my, It's quite an endearing picture. Uh, the, the picture doesn't actually go with the headline at all, uh, but that's fine. Uh, so we've got uh, the smiling Chucky doll, a smiling producer, and the headline, my 40 million killer video. Ban on 
boasting tycoon's bulger horror. <laughs> I, I I don't know if you can read the the bit underneath it. I I, lo- I love the use of word of the word boast in like, like English tabloids are so yes. great for this. Um, but like a, a mogul has boasted about how he made Child's Play three. The sick horror video linked to the James Bulger murder. Yesterday, the £40 million hit was banned by shops. You know, I mean, like the idea that he's sat there in his house going, ah, (laughs) unlucky lads, I I made this horrible film (laughs) and it had these horrible effects and all this kind of stuff. And This this case really triggers that particular type of uh, like (laughs) British tabloid, like tots. Tots for like toddler is is I've never heard the word anyone, the word tots the word tots yeah. is is a is a is a, I've never heard anyone say it uh, in actual like spoken English but it, it's the phrase that English tabloids always use for like kids I'm like where yeah. does that come from tycoon as well like it's just such a <laughs> it's just such a red top phrase it's a, exactly it conjures up images of like Scrooge McDuck <laughs> diving into his piles of money and <laughs> laughing maniacally um, his, his evil um, but yeah on the next the next couple of images you can see if you skip forwards um, says don't blame me for the death of baby James film chief talks for first time of tragedy again he's called a tycoon um you you described him as bearded before as well one of these articles does use that adjective as as kind of like a slur what a piece of shit yeah exactly what a piece of shit the bearded man boasted like all this kind of stuff this guy's got a fucking beard Look and then at him. and then my favorite one which i've included not to illustrate anything smart at all i just wanted you to see it was um the following image um which is a double-page spread. I don't know if you want to try and describe that for the benefit of the, benefit of the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the same. I mean, it's, it's the same it's story. PR same agent probably needs to have a word with him about <laughs> his his PR shots. Uh, so there's a, a massive picture of the same guy drinking a cup of tea. Um, not on his own though. Not on his own. He is sat next to uh, a, a Fred Flintstone, a, a man in a Fred Flintstone outfit. Also drinking a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what's going <laughs> on there. <laughs> the, the newspaper has captioned it, tea for two. The headline is, I was born a weirdo. Um, presumably a quote Yeah, so from... just if you just read the very first line of the body. Uh, of, I, um... uh, the man who created Monster Doll, Chucky, has admitted, I was a weird little kid. Right. I was a weird little kid too. D- did you ever, you know, unleash... A sick, bearded <laughs> no. terror show. No, I've never on, drank on the, tea with unsuspecting kids. Either, yeah, <laughs> I've, I've I've made some terrible life decisions, but um, I've, I've I've not managed to get to his status yet. But um, but yeah, so we've got Tycoon who gave world sick child's play now runs the Flintstone film empire. So the connection to Fred Flintstone is 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 you know pretty meaningless in the context of the wider panic around this. Yeah, but is it seems to me a bit of a hit job to kind of brand this guy. This sick film must have come from a sick mind. Sure, yeah. Right. Um, I like the headline, Why the Movie is So Dangerous. Yes. There's there's some really interesting chilling, again, just like English tabloidisms or British tabloidisms. Um, And just next to that... Burn Sky Film Pleads the Sun um, is also on that page. Calls for the film to be burned. And and amazingly, (laughs) this did happen. Okay. People, of course. people set fire to and threw away, but particularly set fire to because it's more dramatic and makes more of a show. Yeah. Um, copies of the film. 
Uh, and it's also uh, worth saying for the benefit of listeners out there who want to kind of get a flavor of these things yourself, um, you can check out some of these images. We will upload those to our Instagram and our Twitter feed as well. Um, if you want I'm, to see I'm, a novelty Fred Flintstone drinking a brew. I don't know why I'm so caught on that detail. I mean, I... Just, he's, he's a, he doesn't have a mouth. I don't know where the tea's going. Just pouring it into the eyes of the poor guy who's like behind it. <laughs> so go go look at that, I suppose. But but this is a good a good point to kind of pivot a little bit into the specifics of these claims, right? So this, like I said, this this one particular film became the scapegoat for like the the, the kind of um, the 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 stand-in for for this wider panic, right? Which and the panic around video films stood in for all these other panics around moral decline and all that kind of stuff. Um, have you seen Child's Play three or any of the Child's Play? Are you familiar with the franchise at all? Yeah, so I've seen. I've, I I wouldn't be able to tell you specifically whether I've seen right. Child's Play three. I assume they blend into one a little bit, but I've, I've certainly seen. I know with Chucky. Um, I wasn't allowed to watch these films when I was growing up, um, but they were very... Chucky was a very... I was very conscious of Chucky, even from, like, you know, the ages of 13, 14, and, like, um, mates who had, like, cooler parents who were, like, let them watch scary films. I remember, like, Chucky being this thing that, like, in my head, it was, like, the most horrific, scary thing that, you know, you possibly could, like, oh, it's a doll that kills and it's going to be terrifying. When I... And I, I watched them much, much later in my life, so I don't think I watched... Um, the first Child's Play film until maybe I was like at university, so like nineteen twenty. I'd I'd already done bits of film studies, and I remember just being like, "Oh, it's a comedy film." Yeah, it's this this film is silly, um, and I enjoy them. Um, so that's my overriding memory of like, I don't love them. They're they're fine. I don't remember any of the gore. I just remember it being like a silly a silly little film that I yeah. watched, and I think I've seen probably a few of them. I don't know whether three is included in that. Um, I don't know whether you need to watch them in order. <laughs> Do you need to have watched Child's Play two for Child's Play three to make sense? I there is know. there is some continuity. Okay, it's the okay. same. It's the same child character who is at the centre of the, sure. the three films, okay. right? And he's just growing older, and he keeps having to, you know, fight or fend off the the, the you know revived versions of Chucky. But yeah, Chucky's a pretty iconic horror movie villain. Yeah. He's not taken as seriously as you know your Freddy Kruegers, your Michael Myers, your, your Jason Voorhees, or whatever. Yeah, but he's he's. You know, he's pretty famous, he's yeah. pretty well known. Um, like you said, I didn't even realise until I watched Child's Play 3 for preparation for this episode that it was a comedy. I always thought it was just a straightforward horror film. And actually it was only after I watched the film that I then read someone describe it as a comedy. I was like, oh, that's why I thought it was so shit. <laughs> I guess like it's it's in that genre of like comedy horror. I think as all of these sorts but, of franchises yeah. do, they get sillier as they go on. I, I mean, um, I didn't I didn't find it very funny. I think was the thing. And, sure. Yeah, and and the horror was quite tame as well. So, but but that at least made made it make more sense when I've heard someone describe it in those terms. Yes. I was like, okay, I sort of get it a bit more now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but do you have any sense or any knowledge, any memory of of why that film? Like, why would it be that film? Because remember, the judge didn't mention any specific films. He just said violent videos. No, I I don't. This is always this was a question I was going to ask of like why because it's quite a specific like why not Child's Play one like right. I, th- there's a lot of films that you could include. I suspect there's probably more films that you could include that are gorier or a viol- more violent or mm-hmm. um, 
closer resembled the conditions of the actual case and um, perhaps not in the specifics but you know the weapons that are used or mm. not used or you know I, it, it, it's always struck me as quite an unusual film to be focused in on to the extent that the producer is being called a little weirdo or whatever he is being called yeah. in, the, in the press yeah, so yeah, no yeah. I, I've, I've got no clue actually it's really bizarre um, bizarre in the sense that it's so tenuous that like it's really really incredible to okay. be honest that that this became such a big story on the back of the flimsiest of evidence pieces of evidence if you can even call it evidence at all so the the evidence was in addition and and, and again this is happening in very close proximity time wise so the judge makes that comment at the end of the court trial and also emerged right at the end of the court trial was a piece of information, it's very hard to say where it came from. I don't think, as far as I can tell from my research, that it was part of the trial. This is something that was leaked or discovered either by someone who is involved in the case, like a police officer, a legal, someone on the legal staff, um, and, and then leaked to the press. But basically, the father of one of the boys liked to rent out videos. Sure. And at some point the police went through a list of all the videos that he'd rented in the previous years. Yeah. And one of them was Child's Play 3. Okay. And it was th- like three weeks before the murder. So it's the, it's the one that's been rented most recently, perhaps? Or... It's, 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 yeah. It, okay. It's the one that was latched onto. There was also a couple of points which we'll get to. So I'll, I'll read this, this article, which um, is headlined, uh, Video Contained chilling parallels with James's death and that okay. chilling parallels and synonyms of that was repeated again they love and again. a chilling yeah. parallel yeah, yeah. sure um, a horror video hired out by the father of one of the boys depicts a toddler sized doll having blue paint splattered on its face one of the details from the murder which is relevant here is that James Bulger had a small tin of modelling paint thrown at him okay. by the boys okay. when they were beating him up Uh, The article continues, The film, Child's Play 3, tells the story of a doll possessed by the soul of a killer that comes to life and terrorises young military cadets. The doll, dressed in a child's clothing, is hit by a blue paintball from a cadet's rifle during a field exercise, (laughs) and in another chilling parallel with James's death, is eventually destroyed in a final showdown with the boy hero on a fairground ghost train ride. Okay. It's pretty flimsy. It's some some journalist in whatever year we're in has been asked to watch the film. 1993. 1993, and they've sat there with their notebook and, you know, anything that could be pulled from one and, 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 and added to another. Okay, yeah. yeah, fine, sure. But one of the things I found quite interesting about a lot of the coverage is they'll say things like this. Um, but both police and defence lawyers for John Venables, this is the boy whose father had rented the Child's Play 3, yeah, um, Police and defence lawyers for John Venables believe it is nothing more than a bizarre coincidence. And his father insisted that the boy never saw the 86-minute film. So, very crucial to our investigation here. There is no evidence at all that either of the boys ever saw this film. Yeah. Nothing beyond, beyond the fact that the father had rented it three weeks previously. The father is adamant that he rented these films for himself. The kids sometimes got cartoons out of the video shop. Yeah, but he never let them watch those things. That was not yeah. something he did. Um, he sounds genuine. I, d- I don't know, but like you know, we could take that at face value or not. But 
I mean, in some but, ways, again, he's, no he's gotten out that he's not yeah. taking there with the presser, you know, hounding you and banging on your door to explain mm. something that you probably, you know, he's probably traumatised in his in his own way. Yeah. Um, which isn't to, you know, say he's the victim in all of it, but it is to say that he's a human being. If they're saying, did he watch the films? I guess, you know, you'd be accused of being a bad parent, but there's there's an out there of like, I don't know, maybe he watched it when I was out or something that he could have taken or... Exactly. That's 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 one of the claims that that a lot of the campaigners fell back on. It's like, well, even if we're not sure if he watched it, he could have watched he it. He could have watched it, right? Sure, there's the chance. Uh, so you, you can't prove that someone didn't watch a film. Sure. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a, a you know unfalsifiable. Um, but yeah, all of these articles. So all the, remember that the slide before that I showed you before with all those headlines on the like, making these links to violent movies and uh-huh. to Child's Play three specifically. Pretty much, well, not not necessarily all of them, but a large proportion of them include lines like. There is no evidence that they watched it. The police deny any link. Yeah. Loads of people downplaying it. Yeah. But the headlines yeah. are always chilling parallels. Judge says there's a link. You've got to read These boys down into the uh, text to get that, that little exactly. nugget of detail. And, yeah. then, and then on okay. top of that, you do get some people writing these articles that just flat out say... The boys did watch it. Yeah. They watched it and then they went out and killed James Borger. So was, was the dad right. specifically into horror films or is this just like he's, he's watching a lot of stuff and uh, so this is just a quirk? Or? There, was, there was one uh, quirk. So they, they must have trawled through a lot of the list. So um, the list was about 400 titles long. Oh, so he's just renting the video shop. And I think 60, 64 of them or something were either horror or contained soft pornography. Okay. But that's you know, but like watching hor- videos, horror in... mil- like well, if you watch a video that's an eighteen, it's probably got something in it that's a bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's literally what video shops. Yeah, did. and and also, I mean, the, the thing that I keep coming back to in all of this is that, it, particularly for any, anyone listening who's seen Child's Play three or any of the Child's Play films, and like Ben said before, it's it's they're kind of silly. Yeah, these are not particularly gruesome. They're not particularly violent, even by nineteen ninety three standards. Yeah, I find it. Really, really incredible. The, the the linkage of of a small child's clothes to the doll's clothes yeah. seems like particularly like is re- you're really looking for connections there. Like the the doll is the murderer, and he's small because he's a doll, and the victim of a murder is also small, and they both wear small clothes. That fe- that feels like a stretch. It's a, it's a real stretch, and and this brings me to another point that I wanted to make about about all of this is that. I don't think any of the people writing about the demented, evil, sick, twisted nature of this film have actually seen it. Right. Because all the things that they keep reporting about it sound like someone who has no idea who Chucky is, has yeah. not paid any attention to the plot, doesn't care about it. It's just a link. It's just a story. For them. So, so they'll, they'll say things like, um, so this is, again, another quote from an article writing about this connection or alleged connection. In the movie, the doll is led away by two older boys becomes spattered in blue paint and is left to die on the railway tr- line of a ghost train. So that... Um, that sounds haunting. In, it in sounds that, haunting yeah. and it does sound like... the yeah. If you've not seen it, that's a terrifying detail. Yeah. yeah. But, the, you know, all of that stuff is 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 wrong. Right, <laughs> right. So the movie... The, so, so, and a lot of that, the claims that they make where they say the doll is led away by two older boys are often accompanied by an image, a, a screenshot from the film of the doll being carried. Sure, right? yeah. That image, I know because I've seen the film, it's an adult carrying it away. One of the people at the military school in the film who's carrying it away. So it's not been enticed Aren't all away. adults just older boys, though? <laughs> Touché. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we've got a podcast, right? Uh, to show, a weird showcase little that. kid. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, so the, the doll is not led away by two older boys. Um, becomes spattered in blue paint. I mean, technically, yes. There's one. There's one scene where there's like a scene where he gets hit with a paintball. Like, yeah, it's not significant. It lasts about a second. You would not notice it at all. I mean, that sounds like the setup of the, the the gimmick of the film is it's a military base and that's like they're they're looking for new contacts or new spaces. Yeah, so, so or... there's a storyline where there's like a war game, like the military, yeah, like, and, yeah. and, and Chucky swaps some of the bullets for live rounds. Right, right. Sure. So, okay. so, so at one point, you know, he gets hit with some blue paint, but it's I don't know. It's it's again, it's at best re- a really really tenuous connection. Yeah. Um, and then left to die on the railway line of a ghost train. No, he isn't. He gets thrown into a big wind machine. There has been a scene with a ghost train where right. they're like walking around, but he's clearly not run over by a train. He's not left to die. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, and and I'm I'm not really saying this like, oh my god, they've got Charles Play Three wrong. Stop getting it wrong. <laughs> I, I'm trying to defend this like magnificent work of art. It's a terrible film. I really, really disliked it. Um, there's there's not much to write home about with this film at all. Yeah, but I don't think I'm going to watch it. I thought no. I would come out of this being like, oh, I need to watch it. No. I, I'm I'm not. It doesn't. I no, don't yeah, just take my it. word for it. As yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the paint is barely noticeable. It's a complete non-event. He's not left to die on the train track. Uh, they also the coverage repeatedly refers to Chucky as a boy. He's not a boy. He's a doll. <laughs> like he's not a boy. He's sometimes, a sometimes doll. they even say he's two years old. It's like it's literally a toy. He's not two years old. Um, they talk about him being battered to a pulp. Like this doll, this this boy character is battered to a pulp. It's like. Well, he's trying to murder everyone. I think it's, it's a little bit. James Bulger wasn't going around doing that. Like, it's, it's, it's a very, very different. I, I must think like more that, that that flip of like the victim is similar yeah. to the doll is quite like if you know the film exactly. That's quite um, it's quite upsetting actually. That is it's yeah. quite a, a weird comparison to make. I, I I mean you know I find it quite an offensive one. In, yeah, in the, in the, exactly. To be honest, yeah. in, in the context of the murder and how tragic and how awful that was, to trivialize it in this sure. way i think is really 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 bad to be honest um yeah so it really does seem as though there is little desire to actually engage with these films all right so we've just been over the actual film and the way that people have misinterpreted that and kind of you know the, the how the links are really tenuous what i want to do in this next section is to think about actual research scientific research published research peer-reviewed stuff okay. or stuff that is assumed to be all of those things, at least, to think about, well, what does that actually say? What does that tell us? Is there anything that it can tell us about Child's Play 3 specifically or about violent films and their potential harm more generally? I love the idea that scientists get in their Child's Play 3 in their their white coats, in their lab coats. Let's experiment on Child's Play 3. Let's do it. Let's experiment on Child's Play 3. I think in order to kick off this section, uh, we'll start with a clip. Okay. So before I play this, um, all I'll, I'll say is that this was um, a, a kind of a talk show, like a panel discussion that broadcast in 1993, I believe. Uh, and it's a show where they are specifically discussing the James Bulger murder, Child's Play 3, and the harm of violent videos. Okay, let's do it. Um, you're about to hear the host talking to a Liberal Democrat MP. David Alton, MP, um, was the uh, Liberal Democrat um, MP for um, 
somewhere in Liverpool or the Wirral or somewhere in in the Merseyside area okay. in, uh, around where the mur- near close to where the murder took place. Um, and he, very crucially, was one of the big driving forces behind sustaining this panic around Child's Play 3 specifically and violent videos more generally. Well, let me go first of all to David Alton MP and ask you, David, is there any real hard evidence that there is a connection between this terrible murder and video nasties? Yes, indeed. And the trial judge himself pointed to the link between videos and the events that led to James Bulger's tragic death. Only today, the same judge has been saying, not just videos, but this specific video, it will be reported in tomorrow's newspapers, clearly was influential in the events that took place on Merseyside. But we know other things as well. Dr Bailey, who is the forensic psychiatrist who works for the government, did interviews with 40 child murderers aged between 5 and 18. And in a quarter of the interviews that she did, 25% of those interviewed said that videos had played some part in their predisposition to carry out the acts of violence that they'd perpetrated. Well, Ian Muspratt is here from the Video Standards Council, and uh, it seems that there are an awful lot of chilling coincidences between this particular video and, and the actual murder. Do you not now accept that there is definitely a link with incidents like this? No, I don't. I prefer to rely on the categoric and repeated statements that the police have made that there is no such thing. Uh, I'd also like to just point out that video is very, very heavily regulated in this country. Every single video that is released has to be certified, having particular regard, that means censored incidentally, having particular regard that it's going to be seen in the home. That's done by a body appointed by government under statutory law, and if anybody releases anything that isn't properly censored, then they will be guilty of a criminal offence and punished accordingly. And the same thing applies to people who make things available to people under age. But of course this isn't true because the situation is so lax that this very video we've just been discussing was actually going to be shown on British television, let alone through videos which would only be available to adults, but was going to be shown on television as recently as just last night. And we also know from, again, tomorrow's newspapers, of a case here in the Midlands, a West Midlands mother has a six-year-old son who had seen this specific video repeatedly. And she says that her son became possessed and tried to kill their family dog. And that is in tomorrow's newspaper. The family dog. Oh, no. Not the family dog. Fuck. Okay. Possessed. Possessed. Yeah. It's quite a claim. That's a huge claim. How many times do you have to watch it to like reach that level of possession that you want to kill the family dog? Oh, God, he must have really loved that Chucky doll. That's a fucking that weird little kid <laughs> watching that film. Seventh time. <laughs> yeah, apparently tried to hang the dog, I found out. Oh, yeah. fuck. Oh, no. Not the... Okay, fine. So what do you make of that clip that we just watched, Ben? Oh. In, ter- in, terms of, in terms of the evidence that is being marshaled to support these claims. Okay, so... Once I'm over the um, very early 90s suits in the most ridiculously (laughs) bright and colourful TV set I've ever seen, um, which is quite jarring, and it did take me quite a while to get over that actual I would expect some prizes to be revealed behind those uh, backdrops. (laughs) Uh, So once I was over that, so what we've got, so the claim... Okay, so we've got the Charles Place 3 stuff that we've already covered in terms of this actual specific case. That's okay. We don't need to go into that. Um, The study of 40? 40 child murderers. 40 child murderers. A 
quarter of which, so 10, the murderers themselves blame videos was was that that so that that seemed to be a detail his wording was that the um the videos played a part in their predisposition the video played to, part in their to, predisp- okay. to committing the murders sure so we've got 25 percent of um this study and i guess that's 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 the um the cornerstone that's the evidence so, so that's the bit that i was interested in too yeah. like what is that figure where has it come from who is this susan bailey who he mentioned susan Fra- bailey, forensic yeah. psychologist now that statistic the, the 40 murderers the quarter of them being you know admitting they played a part in the murders that is then repeated in a lot of a lot of shows so i was interested in that figure and this susan bailey uh, character it turns out that susan bailey was one of the expert witnesses in the Bulger trial, okay, right? She is a forensic psychologist, apparent uh, forensic psychiatrist. Sorry, um, for adolescents, so she works with, um, yeah, child murderers, murderers, yeah. Um, juvenile delinquency, and things like that. Um, helps to, you know, helps them to deal with their trauma. Sounds like she does really important work and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I was interested in where that figure came from. Is 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 David Alton accurately reporting yeah. her research, or has he twisted it, or what's going on there? Yeah. So I was trying to find the source of that claim. And what I managed to find was an article in which uh, she is clearly being interviewed by a journalist about this study and about that uh, statistic and about the murder generally. Yeah. So it so says, Susan Bailey, an adolescent forensic psychiatrist at Presswich Hospital, has spent many years dealing with young offenders and studying the cases of convicted child killers from all over the world and was responsible for drawing up a report on one of the boys, John Venables, based on information given by his parents, social workers, and residential care workers. Uh, She said that it's a slow process when dealing with children like Venables and the other killer, Robert Thompson, and in the cases she has dealt with, um, if the children were approached too quickly, they would back off. So this is something that comes out years later, but like it took um, Venables, who she was treating, a very, very long time to kind of come to terms with and kind of acknowledge his role in the killing like properly. Right. Um, Which is kind of... Not that surprising. Yeah, like, yeah, that makes you know, sense. Something that, um, but but that that kind of answer to me feels like quite a responsible answer. Like it feels like we've got to take our time with this. Yeah, we can't rush to judge. There's no right? easy answer. She seems to be talking in those terms, which sure. I always think is good when you're reading quotes from academics. In, yeah, right. Um, they're not just coming straight out with the soundbite. She goes on to say, um, "People are always very keen to find out why it happened, but the time has to be right." for this to be revealed, because if the subject is broached too quickly, then they'll back off and repress their feelings. So she's trying to help Venables, but also get the answers that the world wants to know. But she's also acknowledging, I'm treating this person like a human being as well. I think it's worth, it is worth reiterating. I know this was a debate in the in, at the time, but like they are children yeah. as well. And the state has a duty of care yeah. and that isn't to let them off. But it yeah. is to say that, you know, the press's demand for answers isn't the priority in dealing with any of this. Right, exactly. Very interestingly, though, the very last line of this article, notice that we haven't mentioned videos or any films, right? The very last line, Dr. Bailey mentioned that video nasties could be partly to blame, but only as part of a long list of other factors. Now that, and you will know this as well, because I know we've had conversations about this in the past, that sounds to me like a journalist who has phoned her up yeah. And wants her to give a very specific answer yeah. about the link between violent videos and violent crimes. Yeah. And she's kind of kind she's of kind of done it, but like in a reasonably measured way. Yeah. She's well maybe it's playing a part, but 
we don't really know. And if it is, there's loads of other factors as well we need to consider. Yes. That seems to me quite a thoughtful, considered answer. I'm fine with that. The placement of that, the one bit about the video nasties being right at the end of the article smacks of the journalist pushing her to get sure. a particular answer, right? Um, I found a, a wider study that she did, um, a published study. Mm-hmm. Uh, this comes out a couple of years later. Okay. Um, but it's called Adolescents Who Murder. It seems to be based on her psychiatry work with yeah. young offenders. I have never written a journal article that has a title that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Working in the wrong field. Um, but yeah, she basically, she says what follows is the career pathway of these youngsters, an attempt to understand the path, this pathway, the etiology, which I, I learned for this podcast means the, the causes, okay. the study of causes of something, um, the etiology of their murderous behaviour, and a description of a framework for intervention together with lessons to be learned for prevention. So she's, it's a serious academic study a small qualitative study yeah. like in, in well not necessarily qualitative sorry but a, a small sample size of offenders that she presumably because it is quite a small sample you know you would hope <laughs> <laughs> you can't be doing like blind studies on this like you've, you've got 40 in the system exactly yeah right and the the article goes through loads of different causes loads of them okay. so things like teenage gang activity yeah. history of you know out of control behavior, alcohol, drug abuse, mental illness, violence in the home, family histories, fa- absent parents, all the kind of stuff that yeah. you would expect, even if you've never studied criminology or stuff, you, yeah. the kind of explanations you would expect. So she studies all of them. She finds out things like 25% of these, um, the, the young offenders had um, depressed mothers, 25% of them had alcoholic fathers. 35% of them had lived in the care system for six months or more between the ages of 10 and 15. That seems you know, yeah, prevalent, so, right? important. Yeah. And then about two-thirds of the way through, there's a throwaway remark okay. in a subsection I love a throwaway remark. called Other Features Surrounding the Offence. And it's just one sentence, a single sentence. Okay. A quarter of the youngsters had watched for excessive periods of time in the week prior to their offence pornographic and or violent videos. Sure. That's it. Okay. That is the extent of the commentary. There is no citation for that. There are no figures given other than saying a quarter of them had watched it. There's no sense of what films they were. So the week the week before, seven, seven week, full days. The week before these children murdered someone. Okay. Violent content and pornography. Excessive periods of time spent watching violent or pornographic videos. What? I mean, what, I, I guess you, you're, you're about to say all this, but like... I, I have questions about how we're measuring all of this stuff. What is excessive? What is violent? Yeah. What is pornography? Yeah. Are all important questions that immediately arise from that, I think. Yep. And why seven days? Why, like, not a month? Like, what, yep. what is the relationship between the act of the murder or the act of the crime and the act of watching the video? It, it raises more questions than it answers. The kindest thing I can say about that line is that Susan Bailey doesn't seem to care about it. Sure. It's it's an offhand remark. I don't know if she was asked to put it in by a peer reviewer or something. Reviewer 2 probably said, what about the violent videos? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But it's it doesn't seem like the basis, like a, a good cornerstone of empirical evidence that should underpin a moral crusade against a particular kind of media. No. Um, the other thing that I thought when I read that statistic only a quarter of them will watch porn or violence. Like, like these are like kids. Like, I, I don't know. You're, you're always left with this, like, slide. Is that, a, is that a weird, that, that seems like a fine, like, like how many, what's normal? 
what yeah. would a non a non murdering child watch? How, what percentage of them would watch? Yeah, and when, whenever I hear this sort of stuff of like a, a child who is already thinking about murder, like like you said, I, I probably would have expected that to be higher. If they're about to go out and, and murder someone, whether that's because of it's you know um, they're in a gang, which is perhaps something separate, but like. I, I'm not surprised that violent children are drawn to violent media. So in some ways it is more surprising that 75% of the children aren't drawn to violent media. Exactly. That's as interesting a detail as flipped. And even then, I don't think it's a detail that necessarily I'd personally be zooming in on. Um, I suppose, yeah. Like you say, there's something something there, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Right. Well... The the thing that I'm interested in, well, there's a number of things I'm interested in here. Um, one of them, though, is that there are bits and pieces of research that seem to have been used in very strategic sort of cherry picking kind of ways to inform, give legitimacy yeah. to the link between violent videos and violent crimes. Okay. So there is some research, but it doesn't really show what they're claiming it to show. In fact, no. it does at all. It, certainly not convincingly. I fucking hate it when research doesn't show me what I needed to show <laughs> as a researcher. It's one of the worst things that can happen. So the other thing that I think is really important to note about this panic around Child's Play 3 and James Bulger, why this was given legitimacy. So one of the things is that there are, even though the evidence is really flimsy, there are, we do have a handful of people in authority, a judge, a politician, and an academic. The, the Holy Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> who have all given some Wait, yeah, to to that debate, some reason to kind of go. Okay, maybe there's something there. They give you something to quote if you're writing an article. They right. give you they give you quotes. But the other reason why this panic took hold, I think, is really important. We haven't really talked on touched on yet, apart from the word being mentioned, is the term "video nasties." Yes, that was used to describe Child's Play three and other violent films at the time. Um, you're probably quite familiar with this already, but. The video nasties, does that conjure up any memories outside of Child's Play 3 to you? Yeah, again, it's one of those terms that I came to later in life and I occasionally have moments where I'm like, I'm going to watch all the video nasties. Um, So I'm I'm a little bit more familiar with this and I probably was um, Child's Play 3. So I think the 80s, maybe it's a little bit earlier, but it's it's a list that is drawn up. by the government or by the video boards. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm hazy on details, but it's a list, basically. It's a list of um, particularly horrific, I guess, or violent, I guess, or bad, I guess, um, films that under the Thatcher government you weren't allowed to watch. So it was like, it's like a blacklist. It's a blacklist of horror films right. um, that were seen to be particularly nasty and they were, um, you know, banned on VHS. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. the, so, the, so the, the term video nasties sometimes is used to refer to the specific films that you mentioned. So it's a category of film. Yeah. It's a loose, it's quite a vague one. The definition's not great. Sure. As with a lot of these other terms that we've mentioned. You, you mean to tell me the phrase <laughs> video nasty doesn't have a concrete <laughs> definition? You're way ahead of me, Ben. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it doesn't. Sorry to spoil that for you. Uh, but the other thing it refers to is not just the, the category of films, but the wider panic and the conversations around those films yes so there's a period of time which is sometimes referred to as the video nasties craze or the video nasties panic and yeah. things like that we were joking about it earlier but British tabloidisms yeah 
feeding into the narrative. Like that is such a it's such a exactly. British tabloidism. Video nasties. The point I'm trying to make is that we've seen all this before. Yeah. Right? These exact same conversations were taking place less than a decade earlier, or about a decade earlier. Okay. Based around you know, other violent films, not Child's Play 3 at that point because it hadn't been made, but other films and the the exact same crazy, crazy claims about what it might do particularly to children, the dangers involved. With so it. is the height of the Video Nasties kind of craze, I guess we call it a craze? Is that like the early 80s? Early 1980s. No, okay, so it's like just as video is starting. To the key word in there is video, Yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll come on to that in a minute. Um, but yeah, I want to play you another quick clip here. This is a very short one, um, but this is a, a conservative politician this time called Graham Bright. And he was one of the main proponents of a bill that went through in the early 80s that kind of formed part of, of the Video Recordings Act and led to the kind of classification system that we, uh, well, that was introduced then and we still have a version of now. Let's do it. If anyone can stand up and defend the sort of horrific scenes that I have had to see and other members of Parliament have had to see, I believe they're living in a different world to that world that I live in. I believe that uh, research is taking place and it will show that these films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect adults as well. It goes far too far. That, that guy is not a real person. He, he is a cartoon <laughs> character of a 1980s conservative Thatcher government MP. Like, he, he, he's not real. It sounds crazy, and yeah, and again, think of the think of the dogs. I'm worrying about the dogs from this research. Like more again. mentions to dogs. I, I don't know what the what's going on here. Uh, that that research never came out puzzlingly. Puzzlingly, it's a real shame. Yeah, I don't know what the it's effects like, of violent videos on. Shame. I don't know what it would do to a dog. What the dog would then go on to to do? It's a real snapshot. Just, yeah. of like the British psyche. It's like there's dogs involved in everything. <laughs> a child's just fucking died, and we're concerned about the dogs. The dogs in the corner of the room with its big floppy ears over its eyes. Sure, yeah, shaking uncontrollably. <laughs> Is that one of the video nasties? I mean, like... I think I've seen that one. The reason... So so obviously part of what I'm doing when I present this stuff to you <laughs> is I want you to have this reaction that you're having now where you're like, what? Oh, and you're laughing. It's so and- serious. <laughs> I know. It's so serious. Like, it's such a serious debate in, like, you know, yeah. everything from, like, cultural censorship through to childhood trauma and violence. But it's so... I, I guess that's why I'm laughing is that, like, it's such a serious topic and it's it's not taken seriously and that yes. this is the discourse and this is the narrative that emerges out of all these different things seems it is flippant i'm being flippant because i think it's a flippant attitude and i this this man um is very invested in his position he's not being flippant but i i think it is it's silly it's really silly i think we should be able to call it silly yeah I think it's that's silly okay. yeah. good yeah it's stupid <laughs> it's stupid yeah um <laughs> As one of my heroes, Martin Barker, would say, like literally in academic, published academic work, writing would openly call things stupid, daft, nonsense, silly. I'm going to start like calling things stupid more often. In, I think in, we should in my writing. I think. Yeah. <laughs> but but also importantly, it's not unusual, right? The, yeah. the, these these claims, as silly as they are, as flimsy as they are, they keep happening. They were happening with. James Bolger and Child's Play 3 and the violent videos around then. And they were happening in the early 1980s around the video nasties as well. One such article, for example, um, and this is kind of before the, the video nasties panic has really kind of kicked off. Um, a fairly random 
but uh, you know, quite horrible story in the news in the da- reported in the Daily Mirror. This is early 1980s. Headline: Pony Maniac Strikes Again. Right. Okay, it's it's a hor- yeah. horrible article, a really awful, like, I think, a sexual, violent okay. sexual assault on ponies in, in Dartford or something like this. OK. N- a nasty, nasty story. Right. Cool. But the police report at the end of the article, a police spokesman at Margate said the maniac could be affected by video nasties or a new moon. <laughs> no. Yep. Oh, what? What so- is happening? I'm not making this up. I really wish I was. Uh, okay. So Fine. what happens then is video nasties come to explain almost every evil in society. Have they explored the new moon link? I don't think there I wasn't. Want, any, there wasn't I a, want more scientific I, studies on new moons. I want a moral panic about the new moon, <laughs> about the faces of the moon. There's nothing we can do about the moon. Fuck, what are we going to do? Yeah, we're entering a gibbous phase. Watch oh, out. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. But it was it was something. But it's it's an easy solution. Like we sped, we started this episode talking about easy solutions to a complex, horrible, dramatic thing. Yeah, right, a social problem. It starts to stand in for almost everything that was going wrong in society. Yes, the video nasties could explain riots yeah. and child abuse and rising crime rates yeah. and you know deviation. Pretty much any kind of crime. Yeah could be linked to the video nasties. I, we, I've we got have... some alternative interpretations about why crime <laughs> might be rising under a fucking Thatcher government. Uh, well, is it because you've cut everything? Well. Is it because you made a load of people unemployed? It's quite a reasonable, quite a reasonable point. <laughs> it's the fucking new move. And maybe there's some deflection going on here. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's, some, there's some really, really ridiculous uh, claims being made. Um, other MPs talking um, on similar chat shows to the one we heard a clip from before, uh, talking about seeing images in these films of people eating live monkey brains. So Jerry Hayes, MP, says, in response to images of people eating live monkey brains uh, in films... what? This is a quote. Okay. Now imagine that in your own home, when the doors are locked. You're seeing that the video recording machine has taken the place of the baby minder. It's taken the place of the magician. And I'm afraid a lot of parents are acting irresponsibly. Well, Mar- it's taken the place of the magician? <laughs> he says... What's a fucking family magician <laughs> who comes in and entertains your kids? That is an insight into, like, British class. Pick right a panic, there. any panic. Um, but he's- Darling, get the magician in! <laughs> uh... But now watch, Ben, as I make this evidence disappear. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right. He goes on to say, um, other people in the audience here are wrestling with their conscience, deciding whether it's right or wrong to show this stuff to the kids, um, whether it's going to affect his children or not. Heaven knows what damage is being done to them. The, The thing that I think is really important about this quote is the historical context and the word video in yes. Video Nasties, that this is a new technology, right? Video comes in, what, 1979, early 1980s. It's starting to be widely adopted as a, as a consumer technology. Yeah. And people talk about this as a problem, not just because of the films themselves, but because they are on video. Yeah. And the difference there is that anyone could potentially watch them. Anyone can watch yeah. anything. Yeah. 
can watch whatever even your if, freak little minds want to watch. Exactly. Now. Even yeah. if the adults bought it to watch themselves, who yeah. knows what a child, you know, we all know what children get up to when the parents aren't, aren't there and, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. Monkey brains. Again, there's, there's, no, there's no evidence to support this, but it's people imagining a worst case scenario yeah. and then building a panic around their imagination, their worst fears. Sure. So it's, it's hard to kind of take yourself out sometimes of that, the, the kind of headspace that obviously now we use the word video to just kind of refer to any kind of audiovisual content, right? Yeah. Uh, whereas at this point in the video nasties, it's a specific new technology, right? Sure. Distinct from even television, which was already in the home, but obviously that had been popular since the 1950s. Yeah. Now this is something else and it's bringing a whole new range of potential content yeah. into people's homes. And that was the scary thing for a lot of people. You don't have to watch whatever is on BBC Two. Exactly. Whatever weird yeah. little opera is has been put on you, BBC Two. Yeah. You can now watch whatever you want to watch. Yeah. And and all your little sick little tastes and, and sick idiosyncrasies. <laughs> yeah. Sick little tastes, man. Like supporting Man City, for example. <laughs> um anyway. So um another key piece of evidence that comes out at this point in time. So when I say this point in time, I mean early nineteen eighties. Okay. There's another piece of research that I want to get into, and I want to spend a couple of minutes on this because I think it's really important. And frankly, the story is pretty bananas because it's kind of um, it's a key piece of evidence in sustaining this scandal, this panic, and it's really built on sand. I'm so excited. <laughs> Let's do it. OK, so in 1983, there is a report published called Video Violence and Children. Sure. It is published by a group calling themselves the Parliamentary Group Video Inquiry. Oh, parliamentary groups. OK, fine. They yeah. are in no way associated with Parliament oh, oh, or okay. members of Parliament. OK. Right? <laughs> they are essentially a group of um, religious uh, pressure groups, lobbyists, uh, <laughs> some politicians, okay. some researchers. They so just think that's like that. more respectable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it, and it worked. You and know, it worked, it, yeah. you know, again, that, that they got a lot of airtime on radio, television news, um, a lot of um, column inches in newspapers dedicated to them saying what they wanted to say. Sure. But crucially in their report, the, the main, it's a long report, there's loads of chapters to it and things like this. Um, but the, the headline that kept coming out and was repeated again and again and again in the 1980s was that 40% of under-16s and 37% of under-7s okay. had seen a video nasty. Right. Which, again, if we just take it face value... That's shocking, yeah. It's quite yeah, shocking, yeah, yeah. right. 37% of under-7s have seen, like, violent. They are The, the video nasties that I have seen, are they are, you know, gory, yeah. violent. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. I would not want that number. That is a high number. Take Absolutely. On Completely agree. But... There is a story behind where that statistic came from. Okay. And it's actually been detailed, um, been, been really documented in some detail by a guy called Brian Brown, who was a media researcher at Oxford Polytechnic, which I assume is what Oxford Brooks used to be called. Yeah, that um, makes sense. Um, but anyway, he was a media researcher and he was part of this group who was trying to do some research into this, these allegations. Yeah. Now, he was taking it from, a, I think, probably a similar perspective that we would take it in that he was trying to do this uh, in a very um, you know rigorous kind of way, do it properly, be responsible with it, be open to different kinds of conclusions that the evidence might reveal and things like that. I like that that's what you think my own research is, but um, well, that's, that's fine. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I like to slag you off sometimes, Ben, but I, I, I do think you, you're <laughs> mostly a good researcher. Um, but anyway, he was um, working with this parliamentary group video inquiry um, and a, another researcher called Clifford Hill, 
who was heading up this study, right? So Clifford Hill was the main person who was trying to get this research done. Brian Brown is the media academic who was allowing this to take place at Oxford Polytechnic. Okay, right? so, so he's using, signing off the effort. Using Oxford's resources yeah, yeah, and, and, and office labs. space and yeah. stuff like that. Uh, now, he was concerned from the start, partly because video kept coming up in the in the kind of early preliminary conversations about this research and yeah. what shape it was going to take. I don't think this is an actual parliamentary group. Yeah. Well, I don't think it was even that. It was just like he had concerns about how serious the research was, how reliable it was going to be. Sure. Um, that a lot of the claims and the aims of the research seemed to be quite moralizing and sensational and not quite linked to the methods that they were discussing and things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, because it was called like like urgent and growing social threat was it was the kind of driving force That's it was like the, poli- the police evidence of the damaging effects of video nasties on children That's a hypothesis um, that we're working with yeah and warnings of a mafia type underworld controlling the video industry and things like that so those were the kind of conversations and he's sort of like I don't know if I want to be involved in this this sounds really dodgy I don't like this at all but to be fair to him, he raised his concerns and it seemed like they were listening to him. They, okay. they, 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 they sort of gone, you know what? You're absolutely right. I suppose if we you're not an academic researcher yeah. and perhaps some of the, like you wanted to test stuff, you've got some money. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's, that's his job. He's been an academic on the, on the team. Right. But the thing he kept coming back to was that nobody really seemed to be questioning the idea that video nasties had a corrupting influence. That bit was always taken basically for taken for granted, yeah. right? Uh, they just needed... To, to demonstrate it, they yeah. wanted some research to be able to say, "Look, see, well now we've got. We already know it's true. Yeah. Now we need the proof. So they want so the get us the proof. Yeah. So Clifford Hill, Clifford Hill's job is to get that proof. Sure. Brian Brown has agreed to be part of it, but is trying to shape it in slightly more responsible directions. I suppose that's such a fundamental thing in so much of this research is like asking whether that, that the link exists and finding that it doesn't is a very different research question to what is, you know, the yeah. starting hypothesis is it exists. So what is the evidence that we need to Exactly. It? You have to be open to the possibility that your findings will disprove your hypothesis, yes. right? Um, but yeah, so he was... And then even though he, it did seem as though they were listening to his concerns, he was really concerned about the timeframes involved as well because it seemed like in just the space of six months, their aim was to produce a report for the government, the media and the public which would identify the precise nature of the threat of these films, set out available evidence from other studies that have been done, and identify how society should respond to this danger, which again was being taken for granted that there was a danger. So this is doing the research, publishing the research, doing the reports attached to the research, and also putting in some form of policy that responds to all of those things. Right. It's six months. And, you know... (laughs) He's probably got teaching and loads of bullshit meetings to to sit on in his job oh as an academic God, and stuff like that. I've not done anything in <laughs> six months. That's amazing. Exactly. Cool. Right. Um, so he's repeatedly trying to push back against this stuff. Uh, he manages to have some success in it, or at least it seems like he has with the research design. So what he suggests is rather than trying to prove a causal link between videos and violence, what we should do instead is to just go, what we can study is the avail- availability of these videos, what access do people have to them. Yeah. What do families actually watch? Uh, how do they use TV? How do they use video? What kinds of stuff do they watch? They're we can all, research they're that. They're all interesting. That is That's a very exactly. 1982 yeah. uh, academic research question for understanding video. Diary methods, you know, yeah, viewing absolutely. diaries, getting getting yeah. uh, watchers to kind of yeah. write down a list of all the stuff they, they watch. But the group like are like, well, I want the causal link. Exactly. <laughs> I'd um, like a causal link. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, but he, again, it starts to he starts to get... Well, 
once they get the results of these questionnaires back, he starts to see some problems in how that evidence, how yeah. that data is being used to make conclusions. Um, <laughs> claims start being made very early about class-related viewing habits and then being attributed to the questionnaires. They hadn't really, they hadn't processed the demographic data yet, right? Ah. So they had, they had got that data, but they hadn't done any of the analysis on it. So it's like, how are you, how do you know that that's yeah. a, 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 a significant variable? Yeah. Right. Or do you, do you know any working class kids that are rich? They are obviously more vulnerable <laughs> to this sort of stuff. Yeah. 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 They're dirty little council houses. I mean, you need to put square scarecrows. But, but I know you're being sarcastic here. The <laughs> listeners might not. <laughs> but what's particularly wild about what happened next is that so he's got these concerns. These these conclusions start to be made. Then he goes on leave for two weeks. Okay. In. Uh, End of October, early November, nineteen eighty-three. I think he goes to a conference. I think oh, okay. I don't know. He's on annual leave or something. I just wanted to hear about his holiday. <laughs> Fine. In that time, less than a fortnight, a full draft of the report appears. <laughs> before he before he had gone away, no. they hadn't even started the analysis. Oh, can they write mine? <laughs> and and. They not only had they not started the analysis, they were still setting up further data collection outside oh, video stores, what? right? And yet, within two weeks, they had a full report with the analysis all complete. And then a few days after that, all the conclusions and recommendations followed. Oh, and imagine coming back Bri- from a two-week break <laughs> to discover that. Oh my god! And Brian Brown loses his shit. He's got no idea how this has happened. He, he doesn't understand at all. Poor Brian Brown. And at this point, he's trying to, like, distance himself from this. Like, I, I have not signed off on this. <laughs> I don't know what author. this says. Like, yeah, No, he, he's, he is <laughs> named, he's the named academic on, on this, right? So he's, his name is attached to this. And then it starts getting presented to the prime minister. It's getting, like, Thatcher oh, is seeing this. Oh, shit. Um, the, the rest of the parliamentary group that we mentioned before... Uh, quote says to Brian Brown, "Oh, thanks for your report. It's exactly what we wanted." This is, which is wild. Very telling. How do I not know any of it's this? It's unbelievable. I didn't know any of this either. What right? is going on? And then, <laughs> what do you mean? And then, <laughs> At the, so after it's been that that date that those reports have been presented, um, Clifford Hill, remember the, the guy in charge of the study? Yeah, I remember. Who seems to have. Seems to have, um, old Cliff. He's not even in Parliament. <coughs> seems to have, uh, he's a sociologist. Okay. He's a researcher. He's, he's an academic. <laughs> Is he now? Yeah, well, <laughs> allegedly. Um, anyway, it's on the 25th of November, 1983. Clifford Hill goes into the office at Oxford Polytechnic way before anyone else has arrived for work. Uh... And when Brian Brown's assistants get there at nine o'clock in the morning, they found that Cliff, good old Cliff. Cliff. What has removed he's removed all of the questionnaires they've disappeared what all the data they they collected is gone all the correspondence relating to the project all the memos yeah. letters he's uh, done a watergate it's all gone all of Brian Brown's private mail has disappeared <laughs> no and he's, pa- he's packed them up in his car and done a run <laughs> and he's even wiped all the computer tapes relating to the product which I assume in Holy early 1980s shit. would have taken a while because it took a long time to save anything Holy and do anything shit. on the computer unbelievable right incredible so what they just steal the data well, so you can't no one can dispute anything because no, the data's gone there's nothing Brian's got not any like, I, Again, what if, is happening if we want to be really really generous we simply... I don't want to be generous. <laughs> no, let's be generous. Well, go on. What's the generous interpretation here? Well, if he if 
Clifford Hill did have the data to back up that statistic I mentioned before. Yeah. The 40% or sorry, 37% of under sevens have seen a video nasty. Yeah. Right. If he had the data to back that up, he definitely had not shared it with anyone else. Nobody else had seen it. No. Certainly not box, Brian Brown. Man. It's in the box yeah. that I stole. So that final report that was released to the public and press contained all sorts of... So the 40% figure is the big one. Yeah, of but course. All sorts of statistics and figures, none of which were there in the earlier draft that, that Brian Brown had looked at. Oh, they've not even really tested for the, the methods they're using. They're yeah. not doing that sort of... And, and all the conclusions were written before any of the tables have been drawn up, any of the oh, data have been processed, what? any of the things have been analysed. This is genuinely one of the most shocking things I've ever heard in, like, the type of research. I've heard of more shocking things in other fields, but this is... This is wild. I haven't even. I still haven't told you where the forty percent figure comes from. Okay, exactly how do, that. How okay, let's, at that. let's do the forty percent. Right. So it turns out that in their questionnaires that they did, they only received forty six responses from people under seven. Okay. Right. And remember, thirty seven percent of them were supposed to have seen a video. Nasty. Those are the real weird little kids. <laughs> the the, the seven year olds filling in these forms. But it's not even thirty percent. Thirty seven percent of that number. Right. Okay. Okay. Only three people, three right. children under seven, actually claim to have seen any videos at all. Okay. And in total, those three ticked that they had seen seventeen of the nasties. If you divide seventeen into forty-six, you get a figure around the forty percent mark. So that's where the statistic comes from. That what? then, so based on three children oh, under seven, no. who, let's face it might have been lying or not sure about what they were watching, what they were ticking, right? This is that figure was extrapolated work. to say all, like, 40% of people under seven, of children under seven in this country have seen a video nasty. Oh. And that's the figure that gets reported again and again and again. Oh. And I'm annoyed that I'm only finding out about this. Why weren't the journalists at this point like doing some of the digging? You I mean, don't need to be a trained no, response person. Exactly. To, firstly, to ask where it's come from, but to secondly be like, I'm not sure that's how that this works. I'm not sure that's what you found out. I'm not sure what you found out, quite frankly. Understandably, what happens next is that a load of scholars look at those figure and they go, hmm... I'm not sure about this. So I mean, actually, it doesn't pass a sniff test. Like, just as a basic thing, <laughs> exactly. it, it doesn't pass a sniff test of, like, if you go into an average uh, classroom in any school in Britain in 1983 and ask who has seen multiple horror films, like, I would be shocked as a researcher if half the class put their hand up. Yeah. Which isn't to say that children haven't seen it. It isn't to say that it's not going on. I, I would just be surprised. The other thing that we haven't touched on yet that we have to really, that's really important to this period, video nasties were not easy to get your hands on. No, like VHS is like eighty pounds. So the the tapes were really expensive. I haven't even thought of that. But you're absolutely right. The tapes themselves were really expensive. Even if you buy a pirated copy from a car boot sale or a, to our American listeners, yeah. a flea market or something like that, yeah, um, you know, it's still going to set you back a little bit of money. It's still like high end consumer goods. Yeah, kids aren't being let go, like let loose on the VHS because the VHS is like a thousand pounds. Like it's expensive. The, the, it's expensive. The, the, the machinery. It's exclusive. Yeah, the machinery. Yeah. Um, it, it it just seems like a wild... It is a wild statistic. And even, it's not true. <laughs> it's not fucking true. It's made up bullshit. And even when you look at... Um, 
you know, published academics who were right, who would tr- seriously try to. So someone like Martin Barker, a, a real hero of mine, the late Martin Barker, who did loads of un- unbelievable research into this topic. When he started trying to study this and wanted to write about the films, he couldn't get his hands on most of them. Yeah. Because they're just really hard to come by. Yeah, yeah, Maybe he yeah. could get 10 out of the, the, the list of 70 yeah. or something like that. But it's they're hard to come by. So I don't know how... 40% anyone thought 40% of under sevens would even if like they, those videos just wouldn't be in anyone's home yeah they're banned video like right. it's hard to get banned it's not impossible but you kind of need to know where to look and you need to be subscribing to the right magazines presumably or you need to know the right people or you need to ask the right question to the guy in the corner shop who's selling you the VHS like seven year olds do not have access to any of these worlds yeah presumably no, absolutely not. And um, a guy called Guy Comberbatch, uh, another media researcher, he felt like that he he sniffed sniffed yeah. it and he didn't like what he was yeah, reading. Yeah. Right, so he noticed there was some flaws in the questionnaires, and he wondered if the kids might have ticked to say that they'd watched a film which maybe they've not seen. Yeah, but he's he's kind of like, well, I don't know, yeah. but I, that's my hunch is that it's probably not accurate. But let's see. And what any you know scientific study that really wants to get hard empirical data on something does is they would try and replicate it. Yeah. Let's replicate the study. Sure. And what he did was he did it again, the exact same questionnaire, but one difference. He included names of films that didn't exist. Right. Right? So made up fictitious titles like Blood on the Teeth of the Vampire and <laughs> yeah. stuff like this. And stuff that, that sounded like they could be a video nasty, but also quite responsibly... Uh, he checked in specialist film guides to make sure there weren't real films that sounded like yeah, have a sure. very okay. similar title, right? The results this is very creative. Yeah. I'm into this method. Yeah, 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 I like it. It annoys um, me that he's... it's simple. So I, I guess one of the things that frustrates me about this sort of stuff is like somebody does bad research, like really, really fucking bad research, actually. That then other academics who are professional or other researchers who are like professional, like that doesn't seem right. This has been repeated in the press. And now this guy has to like come up with this like really inventive and creative methodology. Like he could be working on lots of other things. This probably actually isn't like a great thing for his career, but he's like, I need to try and counter this. Uh, and he's come up with like something really cool and interesting and smart. But like yeah. he's having to do this now because some guy fucking made some shit up. Ben, do you want to guess what his findings were? <laughs> I'm, I'm looking ahead at being like, I don't think this is going to be like replicated. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. How did you guess? Uh, so were the kids just bullshit? The kids are just like putting crosses in boxes or they're like, that sounds interesting or they think they've... I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing to do with seven-year-olds. Well, his results from... So he did it with 11-year-olds. 11-year-olds, okay. okay. But the results from five classes, five groups of, of 11-year-old children, they did it... Uh, 68% of them said that they had watched films which did not exist. Okay. Right? Okay. Um, and he was also, he was in the room with them and he would talk to them about them as well. Yeah. And there's, there's clips of this in, in various like documentaries about the video nasties and yeah. things. He's like going, oh, um, you know, what, tell me about Hospital of Blood or whatever. And they're like, oh yeah, I can't really remember it that well. Yeah, but it's kind of yeah, like, yeah. it's got a lot of blood in it and you know, this kind of thing. Is that your yeah. child from the 80s? That's my voice. sort of, yeah, London, <laughs> London child from the 1980s. It was good, I yeah. liked it. That's what they all sounded like, do you not remember? <laughs> I do. Re- you say I do remember being of an age where I hadn't seen things, and there'd be like one guy in the class who would like claim that he had seen it, yeah. and it's like, oh my god, it's gonna like terrify you. It's just, oh, it's the it's the scariest thing I've ever seen. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. Oh my god, it has this, and he may or may not have been telling the truth, but I remember like nodding along, or like I, I remember like 
friends. And I'm like, I know you've not fucking seen Scream. Like, what are you on about? I know that your parents are. And then they're like playing along. They're like, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. And like I say, when I come to watch these films, you know, in adulthood, I'm like, this, no, 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 like none of us have seen it. Or maybe like somebody had seen a little bit of it. Or, you know, maybe somebody had seen it. But yeah. it becomes a folk tale in itself it becomes yep. like a story that kids are telling each Who's other seen it? Yeah, yeah and and the, the stories about the film yeah. are obviously more scary and dramatic yeah. and worrying um so i can totally see you know not wanting to be like the kid in the class who's scared of these films and doesn't yeah. know what any of these titles are so you're like oh oh i've seen some of them oh i've seen that one i've seen halloween yeah i've seen one of them yeah like even divorcing it from the study of like films and violence and things like that like just like i think about the boys in my school who would like blatantly lie about how many girls they've kissed over the summer yeah. holidays or how many people they've slept with or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's the same kind of thing. Like, oh, still... oh, yeah, I'm, I'm like you. I've watched scary movies too. Yeah. As, as an adult, occasionally people will ask me about a film and I'll be like, yeah, I've seen it. And then they'll want to talk about it. Oh, I've not fucking seen this film. Why, <laughs> have my, why is my response to be like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I've seen it. No, that's, that's yeah, that's interesting. Right. So we've kind of covered there the panic behind the panic, okay? We've had a look at why the questions around Child's Play 3 and its possible role, its alleged role in the James Bulger murder had so much... carried so much weight, really, yeah. and legitimacy, and why people didn't didn't just dismiss it and laugh it off and dismiss it out of hand because of the lack of evidence. People have it's, been nervous about these films for 10 years. Well, and and, and the rest. Yeah. Right? These, these, these panics are as... It's a tale as old as time, almost. Sure, you can yeah, go back yeah. to the 19th century, the Penny Dreadfuls, the 1950s horror comics kind of yeah. fears and all that kind of stuff. Um, so to bring this back up to the the early 90s then, in the wake of the James Bulger murder. Um, now, the 90s version of of what happened in the 80s was not quite as dramatic, not quite as juicy, not quite as fraudulent, frankly, uh, as what <laughs> happened with Brian Brown and Clifford Hill. And the, not not a know. lot of research is. No, I mean, fair, it's a high bar. <laughs> yeah, you, you're given a, an idea about research culture, but that I've never heard anything that that incredible. So I wouldn't expect that no. to be replicated. Yeah. So it's not, it's not as bad as that. But a similar thing does happen again, right? So in the wake of the Bulger killing, there are politicians and judges and pressure groups and, you know, groups of Christians of different different denominations and things who are pushing this narrative about violent videos. And crucially, they want evidence to support what they or they already think they know to be true. Yes. So the 90s version of this, the post-Bulger version, was called the Newson Report. Okay. So Elizabeth Newson was a child psychologist um, at the University of Nottingham. Newson says in her report that it's quite unlikely that there was any single cause behind children's behaviour, that like the, behind the Bulger killings. Um but mentions things that are like a lot of the classic stuff around like poverty and neglect and abuse and things. Well, that's always been there. So yeah. why is this stuff seem to be seem to be new? Yeah. Right. So they're looking for that that new angle. Um, and again, it was video seemed to be the thing that they were latching onto. Sure. It's, the, it's the technology, even though video at this point is not particularly new, but it's it's a resurgence of the same panic. Yeah. Right. So again, they're trying to find a scapegoat. Um, they're looking to what they think is a new kind of film that pe- that children might be identifying with the perpetrators and mimicking like copycat violence and things yeah. like that. Um, and you know, like with the with the Clifford Hill kind of stuff, it's 
it might not be as juicy as that, but it's fa- it's still founded on sand. Yeah. Right? There's 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 really nothing to it other than supposition. Yeah. Um, like there must be some evidence to this. So what this brings us back to is the question that we started with: Did Child's Play three drive ten year olds to murder? And I guess the bigger question around that is about media influence more generally. Mm. What does this tell us about the nature? of media influence, particularly when it comes to violent media content and violent behavior. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is really important to note here is the word violence in all of this. I kind of alluded to it before, but it's, it's, you know, it's not the straightforward term that I think a lot of people seem to think it is. A violent movie is, is a specific, but also quite abstract thing to say. I mean, what comes to mind for you when you hear the word violent film? Yeah, I suppose the the common sense that is operating here is a common sense that I would first go to. Something like my first my first thought with a violent film would be, yeah, like horror horror films like Scream and um, slasher films would probably be where I go first. But then I go off in like weird different direction. I guess like action films, um, the yeah. Terminator. But then that's starts to immediately the way my brain is running through them i'm like okay terminator fine possibly because we're talking about the 80s and then i'm into like war movies right but uh, are war movies violent i mean yes i get like yeah okay let's include war movies and then you know i'm into you know rocky yeah um the 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 chain i the the point that i think you're kind of getting at is the chain for how you describe a violent film gets messy quite quickly because most yes. hollywood films in particular are action based um and action you know action and conflict based that's you know when you're doing script writing right. and one one way of you know reflecting conflict is to show conflict yeah which is which is fair enough in and of itself, but like one of the things that rarely gets mentioned by these campaigners is there's so many different kinds of violence on our sure. screens, and they yeah. love to count it, right? They'll, yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll say they'll wheel out statistics like uh, one of the ones that that David Alton guy that we talked about before. Um, in America, this is a quote from him. In America, by the age of five, the child, the child, is now estimated, according to evidence given to the Home Affairs Select Committee in Parliament, is estimated to have seen a total of twenty thousand homicides. <laughs> I just want to stand there with a ticker and yeah, watch exactly. a kid watch TV. But, but, so we're going to need a bigger ticker. What's going on? But in order for that to true to be true, they must be counting everything from like. Tom and Jerry and, Jerry, and like yeah. cartoons to like kids action adventure films, you know, Star Wars, um, school dramas that are aimed at kids. Yeah, where I grew up as a pro someone. wrestling fan. Like, right. if you're including like every punch as an act of violence, and then you start to classify, like maybe if you watch like what? the Hulk Hogan's yeah. Wrestling Hour or whatever it's called. I mean, and and then you know, what about nonfiction like news documentary Boxing. footage? Uh, police brutality, Rodney King footage, yeah, you know, all that yeah, kind of yeah, stuff. Sure. Clint Eastwood, Schwarzenegger. Like, you know, you mentioned, like, different. there's different kinds of violence yeah. as well. Like, com- comedic violence, is that the same as yeah. non-comedic violence and things like that? Does if that, you watch the Olympics the nature and of it? you classify every punch in a boxing match, right. in an amateur boxing match as an act of violence, then you might get 20,000 all of a sudden. It's a homicide, <laughs> mate. <laughs> it seems conservative, <laughs> I suppose, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I think one of the key points in here is that well, we we need to not just be talking about violence. There's there's not there's almost like no such thing as just violence as like a singular category. Yeah, we need to think about well, what 
kind of violence? What context is it being used? What's the genre? What's the narrative? Yeah. And that's before we even get to what do all the different people read into it or take from it or bring to the table when yeah. they watch one of these films. Sure. Because when I watch something, it will be different from how you watch something and things like that. Yeah, Tom and Jerry is very different to the news. Exactly. So I guess the concluding point in all of this then is that we have to be able to think about this in a more nuanced, complex way rather than just talking about violence and effects and influence and sick films and things like that. All of the research that gets done, particularly qualitative research, rather than counting instances of violence, but actually talking to real people of any age, you know, even children are very, very capable of giving quite complex, interesting arguments about this stuff. Yeah, some of them won't shut up. Yeah, you 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 get really interesting responses to what they think constitutes violence or acceptable behavior or scary behavior or things that they want to stay away from and they have strategies for protecting themselves against things like that. Yeah. Um, The Guy Cumberbatch research that I mentioned earlier, the guy who went back and tried to um, replicate the findings of Clifford Hill, um, when he spoke to some of those 11-year-olds in schools, he did some interviews with two boys who were clearly really big film fans. Yeah. And they, had, they knew loads about horror movies and stuff, which, you know, you can argue, oh, maybe they shouldn't be watching it at that age. But, like, their response to, like, talking about um, American Werewolf in London, the 1980s horror film, was that, like, they were disappointed with the special effects, particularly in comparison to Michael Jackson's thriller video, <laughs> considering they had the same technical crew, you know, John Landis, right? Yeah. So they're making these really quite complex high level connections about production. authorship and production and yeah, the and artistry. In, yeah and and yeah all the all the technologies involved in it and and basing their response on that so so even children even children i say that like they're not capable like you know children are very capable of bringing things to the table to the viewing situation which are way more important and complex than just oh someone's getting punched in the face yeah or I can see some blood right now. Does this make you want to punch somebody in the face? So there's a huge mismatch between how children actually relate to film and television and other forms of media compared to how the likes of Elizabeth Newson and Clifford Hill research this kind of stuff and the findings that they they draw. The final point that I want to make before Mm -hmm. we finish Mm -hmm. is I want to hand over to Martin Barker, scholar I mentioned before, who's really, really great scholar of uh, audiences uh, and media influences and effects and things like that. Um, He said the following in a... This is from a documentary on the video nasties. And I think the most interesting thing to me is just how how little historical memory we have. The next time there's a panic, we won't remember just how stupid the last one was and how people get away with things. And that, to me, is the most important lesson about this campaign. The evangelical got got away with murder. They got away with fraud. They got away with deceiving people. They now laugh it off. And the fact that all these films, almost all these films are now available uncut in the public domain, they don't care because they move on because what they want to do is to dominate the present and they don't care about history. Critical voices have to care about history. We have to care about the way in which things got controlled in the past because that's when the damage gets done. 
And if we don't keep that historical memory, we will allow them to do it again next time. So brilliantly said by Martin. I, I really, really love that, that conclusion. But yeah, he's absolutely spot on as far as I'm concerned. These panics just never seem to die out. As stupid as they might be, as flimsy as the research is, it'll die off. The panic will die away. People will stop on a given topic. But pretty much the same thing will happen again 10 years later. The underlying politics don't necessarily change either. Right. Which is, I suppose, something we're going to be looking at in future episodes. Absolutely. This is what this podcast is all all about. So, Ben, I think that's a wrap. Sure. On episode one. Yeah. We've been Ill Effects. I have been Richard. I've been Ben. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please do subscribe on whichever platform you get your podcasts from. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Ill Effects Pod. And we'll see you next time. 